welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. I'm Simon Taylor from 11FS, and today I'm speaking to Ben Davey, who's the CEO of Barclays Ventures. How does it feel to be on the show, Ben? Uh, look, it's, it's great. Uh, lots been going on, so really looking forward to the conversation. And thank you for being with us. Um, before we get into Barclays Ventures, which is a pretty cool title, um, tell us about you. You've had a bit of an interesting journey. <laughs> um, well, I, I started off as a chancery barrister, actually. What's uh, a chancery rather than barrister? Yeah, so uh, specialises in trusts, insolvency, uh, banking law, company law. Um, so I uh, had the wig and the gown and, uh, yeah. and practised for seven years. Are there photos of this? Uh, fortunately not. Yeah. <laughs> At least not that I'm aware of. So listeners, you have to imagine wig and gown and then Google Ben Davy so you can kind of put the two together. Please, please don't. <laughs> um, and then the, uh, the next piece, I had always been interested in, in M&A mergers and acquisitions and uh, was very fortunate actually to be given a chance uh, to try that at Rothschild. Uh, so I was at Rothschild for 10 years. Um, started off doing leisure and gaming and some real estate work. Then about 2004 or so, I was asked to take on the financial institutions team as, as what we called in those days a team leader. And uh, over the next six years or so, built out a, a team there. Um, doing lots of advisory work in all sorts of different parts of the world. Uh, that included actually uh, a lot of work during the financial crisis for various governments and, and central banks on, on a lot of restructuring work. Um, and then was asked uh, in 2010 to come to Barclays to build out a sort of advisory M&A and, and partly a, um, a sort of advisory ECM team as well. Uh, bolted into what was already an extremely strong sort of FIG DCM practice and, and did that for the next uh, four or five years. And then uh, as part of that work, uh, was uh, very much involved in, in the strategic review uh, of in particular the investment bank, but also uh, sort of the wider Barclays uh, franchise um, in about 2014, 15, uh, and then was asked to sort of help um, uh, lead some of that restructuring work. And then more recently, uh, when uh, Jess Daly and uh, people like Paul Compton and Venkat and others uh, came to Barclays, um, uh, joining Tushar, who'd obviously previously been at, at JP Morgan, uh, they asked me to become the group head of strategy, which is a role that I was doing for two years until, uh, or just, just under two years, uh, until April, uh, when I was then fortunate enough to take on my new role. Indeed. So that's a pretty interesting decade to be in the uh, the core of banking and strategy for banking. Um, we've been through, obviously, the financial crisis, um, the elephant in the room. But does it feel like that's coming to an end a little bit for banks? Or is there as much uncertainty as ever on the horizon? W what's the mood now? Are we, are we heading towards a phase of growth for an industry? Uh, or are we still very much in consolidation mode, uh, you know, kind of as you look across the piece? Uh, yeah, interesting question. So look, I think in terms of the scale restructuring uh, of the banking industry. It feels that, that is very much at the tail end. Um, there's still a little bit to be done, but I think that the vast majority of that work for all of the, the, the players in, in the uh, industry is, is now complete. I think, to be honest, the next round of challenge is uh, all about the march of technology, um, the extent to which uh, new and uh, also current and emerging technologies are challenging existing business models and uh, the various different ways that uh, you know, both the narrow and wider banking industry uh, have now to take on the new opportunity and effectively, again, revise their strategies. It's interesting as, as a veteran of having worked in innovation labs and teams over the past sort of decade of my career, I noticed that innovation was always fighting for relevance against events. Uh, do you really believe that tech and that sort of threat from A, big tech, B, consumer demand, business demand, has now made it to number one on, the, on that list of strategic priorities? Or is it just kind of always been there, but it's, it's the dials turned up a bit? Um, 
I think it's a bit of both. I think for sure the the dial has has tuned up, um, but I do think maybe maybe it's not necessarily number one for everyone. I would be amazed if it wasn't in the top three for everyone. Yeah. Uh, I think people regard it rightly as both a huge opportunity, but also presenting some challenges. So uh, I'd be pretty confident that the boards of almost all of the big uh, banks, for sure, and indeed those who are sort of shadow banks or very near to uh, banking, uh, have this really right at the top of their agenda. So I'm guessing this is why you created a ventures team. What's the mandate for that ventures team? Because it sounds like a, a VC fund. Is it that? Is it as simple as it sounds? Um, it's not, actually, no. So the, so the one thing we haven't done is created a, a venture capital fund. No, this, this is uh, very specifically a new business unit. Um, so this we set up in, in April. Uh, and was very much the, the brainchild of uh, the CEO of, uh, of the UK, the UK as we call it, uh, the UK Ring Fence Bank, Ashok Vaswani. And the, uh, the mandate is a really interesting one. Uh, it's to help uh, grow our revenue uh, through the identification, incubation and scaling up of potentially transformational new business lines and new business models. So it's an opportunity to uh, you know, adopt uh, both current and emerging technologies. It is a disruptive mandate. Uh, we are given autonomy and independence to go after new opportunities, both financial and non-financial. So uh, very different, I think, perhaps to the classic VC mandate. Yeah, and it's an interesting position because there's obviously that uh, clash. Um, I was speaking to the CEO of Digital Asset, Blythe Masters, on um, our sister podcast, Blockchain Insider, about three or four weeks ago. And she said she couldn't think of an example of a company that had intentionally disrupted itself and failed, and in company that had intentionally cannibalized itself and failed. And yet there still seems to be a fear of cannibalization of revenue. There's there's this great fear out there of, well, we can't kill the cash cow. Uh, you're going to rub up against some of those challenges at some point. So how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, look, it's a great it's a great question. Um, I think the, the bottom line is that the senior management here recognize that if you don't respond to the challenges in the outside market and some of the great advances uh, that obviously many companies are demonstrating, uh, over time you run the risk of obviously losing your market share or just frankly just not delivering the right and the best service for your customers and your clients. So once you've got that fixed in your heads um, and, and providing you feel that you can move the organization in the right way, which, which we believe we can, um, then to set up a small part of your organization to think in that way to have that mandate is hopefully uh, one of the best strategies to, to ultimately uh, position ourselves well as, as what we hope one day will be the bank of the future. It's almost like the old red team um, yeah. sort of uh, analogy. Uh, so when you're sort of setting these things up, do they do they have to be always, because one of the other things I noticed with large organizations is everything has to fit into a strategic program and into a strategic mandate. I mean, can, being a business unit, I'm guessing that was designed to allow you to go outside of that a little bit? Very much so. So uh, one of the things that we have been uh, trying to adopt, and we, we've spoken obviously to, to lots of people who have thought about this, commentated on it, observed firsthand sort of some good and some bad examples, is to try and avoid dropping into that classic corporate strategy box. Um, uh, and I'm very mindful of my own background, so I'm trying to keep myself sort of very focused on that with my with the team. Uh, but you're absolutely right. You know, the aim here is to avoid uh, thinking in those sort of natural incremental lines. And so one of the things that we talk about is making sure that whilst we've understood uh, the business objectives of, of the core business um, and indeed the stretch plans and where they want to take it, you know, that's very much for them. But once we've understood the coast, uh, as we slightly refer it to it, uh, it's then for us to say, right, let's find the clear blue water and then let's start to experiment and test. To your point, things may fail and, and we have to make sure that people are um, 
understand that and they accept it. Uh, but once you've got that clear, then it's a great opportunity. As you say, you are um, a trained banker by background. There are a number of trained bankers, I, I guess, within your team. But what is that team makeup? What, what is their background? And yeah, look, it's one of the things I'm actually most pleased about. I mean, we have an incredibly diverse team. So uh, we have, in, in no particular order, a combination of some deep technology capabilities, some developer capabilities, some user experience, uh, user interface uh, specialists. Um, we have some data uh, science capability as well as some more traditional M&A and strategy uh, backgrounds. But even where we have those, they've come with a sort of major in financial technology. Um, just to give you a sense, uh, just under half the team can code, just under half the team uh, have investment experience. And I think now within the team, we have um, either 15 founders or co-founders of their own startups. Mm, that's a good mix. And how big is the team overall then? Um, look, the way we've organized it is uh, to be able to go after five or six opportunities with those classic pod teams of five or six people. So that's the sort of broad size of the team. It'll flux, uh, flex up and down a little bit depending on, on sort of particular initiative scaling, but that we felt was about the right size. And so with that size of team, you're going to attack several initiatives that may be done in a different way. You're going to try and do it what off brand are you going to do it as, as like what does that venture look like is it, it have you got anything that's coming down the line and can you give me an example of the size and shape of the sort of thing that you might be doing um, sure. So, uh, yes, look, the intention is to go after perhaps five or six uh, different areas, very different areas, uh, with experimentation uh, first and foremost in mind. The, the sort of the approach that we've adopted is to think about areas where we have natural adjacencies, uh, perhaps some internal expertise, because one of the things it's, it's worth just appreciating is we obviously have the benefit of the huge uh, sort of Barclays um, infrastructure, knowledge, brain to work with. And so it's really all about finding those fantastic new customer propositions that we believe, you know, once tested and appropriately um, um, developed, we can then flow back through the organization. So to give you one example, about a couple of weeks ago or so, we actually announced our first strategic partnership with a team called Teammate, uh, who are a cybersecurity team who do a combination of uh, blue sky, uh, new propositions, uh, as well as um, some co-creation. A whole host of um, uh, strategic partners were announced at the same time. And we do see that as a very important area to our customers and clients. Pull the buzzwords out for me because I hear partnership and co-creation a lot. What does that actually mean? What, are, what does it tangibly mean? Yeah, so um, if I take a step back for you for a second, um, one of the reasons that we have set up this team is to try and recognize that in the past, I think just generally the industry has been very proprietary about products and services. What we're trying to do is move away from that. Uh, there's obviously a role for that you know, on a forward basis, but what we're more focused on is actually what I would call genuine industry and cross-industry collaboration. Uh, and also working completely outside of Barclays uh, with FinTech or high-tech partners who have a great proposition uh, that we don't want to disrupt or get in the way of, but we believe we've got something to add. Uh, and therefore, in those circumstances, and it's very much strategy first, we will also look if we think that it works for us and it's obviously appropriate for the partner and they would wish to do it, we'll be willing to take minority investments to support that partnership. So very much a combination of true collaboration, joint teams, common ideas, developing a platform, or just taking uh, partners outside of Barclays and, and sort of hopefully assisting them with their plans. This seems to be a part of a trend that we've moved away from like fintech, the competitor to banking, fintech, the, oh, it's PR around the edges and banks have a lab, and to fintech, the small schools of fish suppliers and or 
fintech the specialists or tech the specialists. I, I wonder if you, banking has moved away from that um, manufacture distribution model where it was sort of the old production line where they had the plants that created the rubber that went on to, that created the tires that created the cars for the Model T. You know, banks were very much organized to do everything in terms of fulfillment, uh, manufacturing, distribution, fulfillment, the whole thing. And now actually the specialist suppliers make up a good chunk of it. But how do you transition that? Can you really transition that and then get that back into the old business? Is it only ever going to sit on the edges? And can that be disruptive if it's only around the edges? Lots of good points there. Um, so I think uh, the short answer is you need to set yourselves up very well to be able to then flow some of these great uh, innovative ideas back and into the core business. So I think to be truly disruptive, you, you need to find a way uh, for that to happen, irrespective of, of how good the idea is. I mean, obviously, some uh, fintech companies are great large businesses in their own right. But there's a probably an even larger number where, to your point, um, they are great partners, but they are looking for ways of distributing. And so one of the things that we did in the early part of our um, setup was to think very hard about how we could migrate our onboarding processes to be more flexible, and also to look hard at the control environment that is typically in place, uh, obviously, for a very large organization. And um, if anything, just to be very specific about what applies in both those instances at each stage of an onboarding or development of a partnership. And I think you can get quite a long way, actually, by breaking that down and being very thoughtful about the stages of introduction. Because when you're trying to bring a partner into the company, typically you've got this massive wall. And it, you know, it's like the wall, thinking of Game of Thrones. You've got this giant wall, it's freezing cold, and there's barbarians beyond it, and it's scary. Um, but actually, if you could chunk that down into smaller steps, it would make life a lot easier. But when you think about um, startups, I mean, if you ever go look at the original Airbnb deck or the Stripe.com deck, I mean, these things, when they start out, don't always look fully formed. So I guess you're looking for a slightly more mature partner than sort of really early stage stuff. You're looking for somebody with a business that you can partner with that's, that's gotten off the ground a little bit. And also, are you looking to incubate your own stuff or is it all external partnerships? It's a little bit of everything, actually. Uh, I mean, emerging um, thought process. So forgive me if in a few months' time we have another chat and, and life's moved on. But for the time being, our, our working assumption is that in terms of maturity of, of company uh, and to sort of perhaps utilize a, a sort of venture capital term, sort of series A, series B. So generally speaking, companies that have developed a product, they've maybe tested it in one market or part of a market, it appears to be working and they're now looking for uh, the next step to truly scale. That, that feels like the sweet spot. But at the same time, we, we, we absolutely will uh, do some co-development at a very early stage. Uh, we think we've designed the team, you know, as described, in a way that um, appreciates the stresses, but also perhaps how we can help best some of those very early stage companies. Uh, and we would like to certainly pursue a number of partnerships in, in that space. And then uh, crucially, uh, we have, as you'll know, uh, some, some great people, some fantastic thought leaders within uh, Barclays itself. And we would like to create, uh, in, in partnership with our own uh, sort of group innovation team, a platform that allows uh, some of these great people internally to develop their own ideas further as well. The model for doing that is going to be an interesting one because I don't know that anybody's really cracked that nut in banking. Um, it seems to be that things are born in spite of the process rather than because of them and turning that round is going to be interesting. So dealing with those different pressures, could you see a world in which you build something that uh, internally competes externally properly in a way of like it was born inside but it grew outside? And what would be the things you'd have to get right to make that happen? Uh, so, that, look, the short answer to your question is yes, I, I do see that as entirely possible. I think the, um, 
stages of allowing that uh, team to develop are absolutely crucial. Um, I think to the point you're making, uh, there are plenty of examples of large corporates having great teams or great ideas, and over time the environment squashes them or, or, or doesn't allow them to develop. So I think you've got to be very mindful of the various sort of stage gates to success, but as soon as you have an idea or a proposition that seems to be developing and scaling nicely, um, you have to uh, ultimately protect it inside uh, and make sure that they have uh, the mandate that we've just discussed to continue to grow independently. And you should also be open to thinking about spinning it out, at least putting it into a more independent environment if that's what's required. Oh, that's an interesting idea, spinning it out and finding that independent environment. I'm guessing the work at the moment is about figuring out what does that actually mean? Because it's going to look a little bit different for everyone. For of everyone, them, that's right. I imagine. How can Sam afford the latest smartphone while she's at university? It must cost her parents a fortune to send her there. Oh, she's fine. She can just borrow the cash and pay it back when she bags a high-powered graduate job. Well, the tuition fees alone must be nearly £30,000. Well, she'll be earning a lot more than that after a couple of years. But imagine starting your career with £60,000 worth of debt. Hmm. Yeah, you could buy plenty of smartphones with that. Millennials. Future consumers or debt slaves. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash join us. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Talk to me about some of the due diligence, um, staying in control of compliance, um, you know, can you reasonably expect to grow using the same processes you've always used? Or are you now actively building new ones? Or are you saying, well, actually, we need to have, um, our CEO, David at 11FS, always says, um, it's a bit glib, but uh, our, our motto is smart people making shit up with the emphasis on the smart people. Right. So can you maintain a bit of that inside of a corporate that has given you responsibility to deliver revenue? Uh, we think you can. Uh, and I think so far, um, I, I genuinely think we've made great progress in, in that space. So that taking the sort of stages of, of your question, there are probably three parts to it. Um, the, the first part of the answer, I think, is to really work actually uh, very closely with your control partners. Uh, and so we have a team that is effectively focused on our business where you have you know, senior members of each of the control functions um, all the way through, so in, including obviously risk and legal and compliance, but also uh, the sourcing, the procurement, the financial crime, all, all of those key areas. Uh, and we've asked them to effectively think about the various stages of development of uh, new ideas and partnerships. Look back to obviously the rule book and uh, you know, obviously you know, ultimately it is critical that we make sure we keep our customers and the institution safe. But be very specific at each stage of that development as to which rules and principles are required and which are not. Because I think one thing I would observe, and it's the same, frankly, with terms and conditions more generally, mm -hmm. there's a risk that they sort of build and build and build over time. 
and you end up with a big consolidated rule book, but actually it becomes by definition less tailored to some of the more specific steps in, for example, an experiment. And I think if you break that down, and we've, we've obviously done that work, you can meet both objectives of keeping obviously everyone safe and making sure that everything is appropriate, but at the same time, uh, giving these ideas more space to breathe and to, and to grow. One of the classic examples of uh, kind of first principles design versus emergent design was the um, space shuttle, uh, in which the dimensions of the space shuttle are set by the width of uh, the trains that could carry the parts to the launch pad, which was set by the Romans, uh, because train carriages were actually set by the Victorians that were set by uh, the roads that the Romans had built, which were set by the width of two horses' backsides. So the, uh, <laughs> the space shuttle was actually set by the width of two horses' backsides. And so actually sometimes breaking free from some of that and redesigning things from first principles can make a lot of sense. And you only need to look at Elon Musk to see the, the kind of value that can bring. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to, to watch that, especially with the control environment. That's a subject dear to my heart because it's something I've spent a lot of time working on, which makes me beg the question, you know, why didn't you guys go more independent? Why didn't you guys go further out? We've seen... Um, other organizations have sort of a minority stake in VCs and maybe go that route to be further out. Do you think that the distance from the organization is enough? Maybe it needed to be further. Look, we, we think uh, our model is potentially the best of all worlds. It, it might be more difficult to deliver. But if we can find a way of keeping the mindset that you've just described and embracing that all the way through the team, but at the same time, being able to draw upon the huge brain, resources, knowledge, distribution capability, uh, customer base of, uh, of obviously the bigger Barclays. Um, and you introduce those new ideas, having tested them in a, uh, in a sort of slightly outside independent environment before bringing back in and scaling. Hopefully you've got something really very special. Let's hope. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions before you go that I ask all of the guests. Given you made it to a CEO of a ventures unit, you've done reasonably well in your life. Um, a couple of questions uh, for any listeners who are interested in fintech, wanting to get into finance, thinking about their own careers. First one is, what's the best bit of career advice you've ever been given? Um, for me, it was uh, some advice around building teams, uh, where I was told, think about hiring on potential, not just on track record. And uh, it's a very interesting sort of concept. And um, the more you apply it, uh, the more, at least I'm convinced that it's the case. You can, slightly back to your, your example of the shuttle, you, know, you can slightly get trapped in relation to what someone else has done in the past as being their way forward. And if you just look at the sort of raw material and the capability of the individual uh, and sort of promote or hire on that basis, uh, it produces some fascinating results. There's some interesting psychology studies as well that show as we age, we tend to believe experience is more important. Uh, and, but actually, on balance, experience and innovation, we need both of them. And, and as we're moving into a more chaotic economy, possibly experience is um, not unimportant, but uh, it's certainly only one piece of the puzzle. Um, and so we need to value new input as well. It's an interesting point. Very, very much so. And so what do you know now that you wish you knew 10 years ago? Yeah, this, uh, this kind of contradicts the last question. Yeah, it? It, it does. I think um, there, there is obviously a huge role to be played by experience. And, and just having had, uh, very fortunately, the variety of, of experience, uh, both in some sort of um, up cycles and some down cycles, and having really understood uh, having been in both ops and tech and, and finance for a while in my last role, 
understanding this the engine room and the and the and the core of a bank and how it works and having that experience and then on on the other hand uh, sort of more recent exposure really starting to understand the extraordinary things that are happening on the frontier of new technology having those two things which i'm, I'm beginning to to understand and, and and bring together but having that knowledge 10 years ago would have been just fantastic uh, i call those people day walkers um, people that get banking and really get tech. They're few and far between, and when you find them, grab them with both hands, because uh, really getting banking is, I think, um, a lot harder than it looks, um, without question. Ben, thank you very much for joining us. Where can people find out more about you and Barclays Ventures? Uh, look, thank you so much, first of all, Simon. I really enjoyed chatting today. Um, look, we have a, a web page uh, on the Barclays address. Uh, you can also find us uh, through various LinkedIn uh, postings as well. Uh, and look, we love to chat to people. Uh, we, we have a lot to learn. And anyone who'd like to have a uh, chat with us, please get in contact. Get in contact. Find them on LinkedIn. It sounds like the way forward. Um, you are going to get spammed. I've got to say, we've got a lot of listeners. So um, listeners, thank you for listening. If you do like what you've heard, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love reading those reviews they make our day and befriend us on facebook or twitter or linkedin even as it seems uh, that's all for now and we'll speak to you soon